Here we stand at the end of the year, right? Beginnings the, uh, the beginning of the new year is tomorrow. Um, it's, I, I don't know, it, it feels crazy. I don't know what happened to this year. It was really quick. I don't know what yours felt like. Mine was very quick. First full year in a, in a different country. And yeah, I just wanted to say well done to you. I mean, you have endured us for another year. Um, I'm sitting at the back there thinking about everything that I've said from here this year. Now, I haven't thought about everything. I've forgotten 99% of it, but I know that it's not always the best stuff to hear. It's not always the easiest stuff to hear. And as I've grown to understand you, understand the culture, the life, the American way, um, I've grown to um, really think I, I could have said something in the past differently now that I understand it better. So thank you for your grace towards me um, when I speak up here and when I say things that you, you, you still have me here and you, you still love me, and I know that you do. Thank you so much. Um, I also have to say that when I do speak, this is, I'm, I'm not trying to say what you want to hear. And that's, I think, something unique about this church that I think everybody just needs to remember. It is very easy and it's a great temptation for a preacher to decide what he's going to preach on based on what he knows people want to hear and what will make people feel comfortable. And I don't do that. I don't want to do that. The goal here is to speak the oracles of God and you do with it what you want to. And so I think sometimes people come in, they hear things, and they might not like what is being said, and, and, and I'm, I'm really sorry about that, but I mean, we, we could change things up, and I'll just say, you know, and I could use the right words that, that's just aligned with what everybody wants to hear, like, like a great, easygoing, comfortable, sort of, hear something for your life, go and nibble on it, and, and, and go live your life, and, 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 and it's just a nice and palatable lesson to eat on. And it's not necessarily what the Scripture says. And I've spoken about this before. You can go into a Christian bookstore. You can go buy a nice diary that has a message every day in it that's usually about conquering your fears and living a, living a, a successful, victorious life. You know, you'll have wonderful, uh, daily, um, encouraging words like that. The, the truth is, however, that is not the whole Bible. That's a part of it, but that's not the whole of it. And what we try to do here is we, preach to, we try to preach the whole text, which includes the victorious life lessons, but also the you've got to get your act together lessons, because that's how God speaks to us. We don't walk around the whole day and tell our kids, oh, you're such a champion, you're the greatest kid in the world, just live a great life, you're, you're, you're tremendous. We also correct them when they go off track. So we need to remember that this is a balanced, a balanced approach that we try to take when we look at the text. With that said, that doesn't mean that you're going to get a tough lesson today. Okay? I'm just saying that. I was reflecting there. I was reflecting on the year and everything I've said. We just have to remember that we, we want to hear the Word of God. We don't want to hear what we want to hear. We want to hear the Word of God. And if you want to hear the Word of God, yes, then you're going to hear what you want to hear. Okay? So... So I close off this series of lessons. Winter is coming. Jesus says that as the end of the world is going to approach, people are going to love less. That's what Matthew 24 and verse 12 says. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most people will grow cold. So we shouldn't be surprised when we look at the world, we look at people, and they're starting to like one another less. All right? It's just going to, it's going to happen. Jesus said so. It's one of the signs of nearing the end. And here's the challenge for us as Christians. Because this is a religion of love. I, I, it, I reflected on it again this week. The fastest growing religion in the world is Islam. It's the fastest growing religion in the world. And you know how Islam grows? Islam grows through conquest and through birthright. Right? The reason why Islam is growing so fast is because they've got like 10 kids and all of them must be Muslims and you cannot leave the faith. Otherwise, you face persecution and being cut off from your family. Christianity grows through compassion. That's the difference. We go, grow through love. People are not forced to be Christians. People become Christians because of love. 
because of the God of love, because Jesus Christ is love, right? And so it's hard for us when the world gets colder because everything about our faith is love, right? And so the temptation is there if we live in a cold world that we will become cold. Because the world rubs off on us. I go down the street, nobody greets me. Okay, then I've been next tomorrow, I'm not going to greet anybody either. If people are not kind towards me, I'm not going to be kind towards them. The world rubs off on us and we can't allow that to happen. And I've suggested some things that we could do to help us stay warm. Some of the things that I've said is this. You've got to cuddle up. In the winter when it's cold, you hug your wife. You, you cuddle up. You sit closer. We need one another. We need to spend time with godly people. We need to spend time with warm people. That will keep us warm. I also said that we need to take a bath, right? We've got to, we've got to get, the, the difference between a shower and a bath is you get in the shower, you get out, you're still cold. You get in a bath, you get out, you're nice and warm for an hour. And bathing in that context spiritually is this, you've got to deal with your sin. You've got to wash off. You've got to soak in, sit and just reflect on your own sin in your own life. Because if you don't, you have sin in your life that continues and it separates you from the God of love. That's what Isaiah 59 verse 2 says. And then thirdly, I suggested you've got to dress warmly. In other words, if you want to be a person of love, if you, if you want to stay warm on the inside, you've got to live that way on the outside. You've got to be a person that loves other people. And that sometimes is not easy because you don't want to. But you've got to do it. And that will keep you warm on the inside. So finally, for today, work. Work. If we want to stay warm, we have to work. You've got to exercise. You've got to keep busy. Then you'll keep warm. When you stay active, you will keep warm. If you want to be spiritually warm, you have to do God's work. When you do God's work, when you're involved in kingdom things, when you do what God requires of you, you will stay warm. That's a fact. Now, the reason why I think it's appropriate to end this year off is because most of what I'm going to say today is a summary of what I've been saying the whole year. And you know that there's one theme in my head that keeps on popping up. And I promise you, when I talk about this, it's not because this is just my pet thing to do and because this is the only thing in the universe that excites me. It's really because that's what I see in the Bible from beginning to end. The type of work I'm going to talk about. You know what that work is. So I feel it's appropriate to, to talk about this at the end of the year, to reflect back on the year, but also to say, okay, let's put this in the forefront of our minds as we go into the next year. And I've got to be honest with you, a lot of you have shown, a lot of you have taken what I've been saying, you've put it in your mind. Maybe you haven't been able yet to, to fully live it out, but it's there and I can see it. At least some of you are praying about this work. And for that, I, I just want to honor you. I want to honor you. Let me, let me say two things quickly. It's very hard to do spiritual work. It's very hard to do spiritual work. It's very hard to do this work that I'm going to talk about today. And here's two reasons why. Because number one, because of the type of Christianity that we have. And you know I've spoken about it. it this type of Christianity is big here in the States. And, and, and I didn't know it was like this before I came. Even though I visited here like four times before we actually moved here, I didn't know it was like this. There is a documentary, and I've spoken about this before, but I want to reiterate it again. And I want to challenge you to go look at this. It's called Sheep Among Wolves. And there's two volumes, Sheep Among Wolves. And this is about how people are spreading the gospel in Iran. Now, I don't know if you know what's happening in Iran. Iran is the Muslim capital of the world. It's the jihadist capital of the world. Christianity is not welcome in Iran. They don't have church buildings like this. Women get beaten. Women get raped by, 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 by vicious people, especially if they would adopt a new, a new faith. If you go look at this documentary, it's absolutely incredible what's happening. There are people that have Jesus appear to them in dreams, they claim. Now, this is difficult for us to understand based on our theological uh, precondi preconditions. But in, in that world, I can imagine that the case to be. You don't have a preacher sta standing on the street corners telling you about Jesus. You don't have a church that you could just go to and go hear about Jesus. So Jesus says, okay, don't worry. I'll meet you in your dreams. I'll come speak to you in your dreams and tell you that I'm real. 
And then somehow there's an underground movement of people making disciples without churches. Reaching people. They say it's the fastest growing Christian movement in the world next to China. Now one of the couples living in Iran got the wonderful opportunity to escape the persecution there. To escape the lifestyle of a, of, of, of a Muslim-driven country and come live in America. A couple. The couple came, they lived in America, and they interviewed this couple a few months later. And look at what the woman said. She said this. After living in America for a while, she said, there is a satanic lullaby here. All the Christians are sleepy. And I'm feeling sleepy. Now, I, I'll, I'll be honest with you this morning. This resonates very well with me personally. And that's not a reflection on you here today. It's a reflection of what I've seen since I've been in the States. There's a lot of sleepy Christians. A lot of weak, sleepy Christians. They do church. It's like, yeah, Jesus, I believe in Him. Never open my Bible. You know, you know why? Just because it, it's just the way that it is. It's so easy to be a Christian in America. Nobody persecutes you. It's not difficult. Nobody challenges us, really. We can, we can come here. We are here freely today, aren't we? Nobody stopped you on the way here. It's like, it's very, very easy. And one person makes a comment on this lady's comment in the, in the documentary, which says, that story about this lady was disturbing because that woman was discerning a threat to her faith that was, a, that was a greater threat than the kind of persecution that happens in Iran. She saw that spiritual sleepiness is a greater threat to her faith than persecution. In other words, let me help you to understand and see this. If she's in Iran, every day she has to hide. And God is doing incredible things in her life because they are constantly under persecution. Satan is there. Physically, he is attacking them through the Muslims. You've got to hide. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to be intensely connected to Christ. And you really got to ask yourself the question, am I willing to die for him? So she comes from that environment where she experiences Christ in a totally different way. Where there's a cost, her life is on the line for believing in Jesus. She comes to America and it's just like, everybody's just so relaxed. There's no intensity to being a Christian. It costs you nothing to be a Christian. We go to church, we do life, we do what we want, we are good people, but we do nothing outside of our comfort zone. When you go live in Iran, everything about Jesus is out of your comfort zone. Everything is about you can possibly die today for believing in Jesus. But in America, it's not like that. We've got a very comfortable Christianity. In actual fact, we make sure that the church is our comfort zone. We make sure of that. And if the church isn't comfortable, you know what we do? What do we do? We just pop to another church quickly, man. You pop around until you find a church that's comfortable. In Iran, you don't have that. It's Jesus or nothing. It's not jump from church to church. It's Jesus and everything to Him or nothing. I want to remind you about this video. I don't know if you guys can remember this. This is Wayne Cordero. He was an, a missionary to China. And he tells the story in this video. I want you to go research this. You can go look it on YouTube. Go look it again. I wanted to play it this morning, but I thought, let me just not do that. He said a mission meeting in China. He's got a bunch of Chinese people that comes from all over the country. They're underground Christians. They don't have church buildings like this. They travel days to get to this place to learn from him. They don't have Bibles. They're not allowed to have Bibles. So when he starts unpacking and opening his Bible and reading to them, they continue what he's saying. They, they know it off by heart. So you ask them, how do you know this? He says, well, when we were in prison, we had to memorize the scriptures because if the security guard saw us with writings, they would confiscate it. But they can't confiscate it from our minds. And at the end of his talk and his study with them, 
He says, okay, I'm going to pray. What can I pray for you guys about? And, and this is what they pray. This is what they ask. They say, hey, Wayne, please pray that we can be just like you in America. Pray that one day we can have church buildings where we can meet in peace and nobody would stop us. Where, where, where we can all have Bibles and nobody would take away the Bibles from us. Pray that we can be like you. And this guy answers. He says, no. I'm going to read you his exact quote. I will not pray that. He says, and they, they say, why? And he answers, because you guys rode a train for 13 hours to get here. In my country, if you have gotten to drive more than an hour, people don't come. You sat on a wooden floor for three days. In my country, if people have to sit for more than 40 minutes, they leave. You not only sat here for three days on a wooden floor, but you did it without air conditioning. In my country, we have an average, uh, 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 in my country, if it's not bad at pews and air conditioning, people don't often come back. By the way, it's been commented that we've got very comfortable padded pews. I'm glad that you are here. In my country, we have an average of two Bibles per family. We don't read any of them. You hardly have any Bibles and you memorize them from pieces of paper. I will not pray that you become like us, but I'll pray that we become like you. So, it's difficult to do, to be radical about working for Jesus in this Christian climate. It's difficult because it's so easy. It's not necessary. That's our one problem. But we've got a second problem, and it's the type of society that we are in. Here's a Cheech Marin quote. He says, convenience is the American way. America is designed for comfort and convenience, wouldn't you say? I remember coming here the first time in 2007, going to Texas, driving past the bank. I couldn't believe my eyes. You have a drive-in system at the bank. There's a magical tube that gets sucked in. I went, I parked, I just wanted to go look and see how this works. It's incredible. People are too lazy to get out of their cars and walk into the bank. Now we're going to design a tube system. It's incredible. Absolutely incredible. Think about these words, fast foods. American made, ladies and gentlemen. We want fast foods because it takes time to make food. It's hard work. I've got to be honest with you. I've, let me just, okay, just pause for a second here. It's like, these are incredible things. It's really convenient. But I take my hat off for you guys who've lived in America your whole life. You want to have, in a certain extent, you want to have a really convenient life, you go live in a third world country. You go live in South Africa and, and those places. That, one of the things that I have to give to you, like, to the American way, is like, doing washing. Like, in, in South Africa, you can hire somebody for $10 a day to clean your house and do your washing. That's the one thing I would say about a third world. But in a sense, that's a, that's a type of slavery. But everything else, I would say so much of America is, is convenience-based. Look at this convenience store. Convenience store. Dishwasher. <laughs> I grew up with a dishwasher being my mother or my sister. And when I got older, me. In America, comfort is powerful, and it's a noble value to pursue. The Greek word for work is this one here, kapiao. And it means to feel fatigue, to be weary, to work hard. Let that sink in. And when I, when I read that, I thought it would just mean work. It doesn't. It says to feel fatigue, to feel tired. I don't know if, if you see that, but this word stands in direct contrast to our culture. In direct contrast to the American de ideal. It fights against the American dream and the American lifestyle. The American lifestyle says, relax, get comfortable, do what is convenient. And then God comes and He says, get up, get your buttocks off the couch. Get tired for me. Weary yourself out for kingdom things. No wonder 
There are so few workers. And if you don't, listen carefully, if we don't work, you know what's going to happen? We're going to become sleepy Christians. This is a battle, ladies and gentlemen. It is therefore harder to stay spiritually warm in America. It's hard to stay spiritually warm. It's much harder here than places like Iran. Because here it is comfortable to believe in Jesus and it costs us nothing. Now, when I say work this morning, what do I mean? Work on what? Well, Jesus says in John chapter 5 verse 17, He's being criticized because He has healed somebody on the, on the Sabbath. He's working on the Sabbath. And they're critiquing Him for that. And Jesus answers them and He says, Hey, to this very day my Father is at work, at His work. And I too am working. Jesus is working. The Father is working. Now, quick question. What do you think the Father is working on? What is the work that Jesus came to do? You know where this is going. What is really the work then? I can throw in hundreds of scriptures. The work of God is this. The work of Jesus is this. To reveal the Father. To be a ransom for many. To serve to save the world, to preach the good news, to do the will of the Father, to give the Father's words to the world, to testify to the truth, to destroy Satan's power. I can go on probably the whole day of telling you exactly what it is that Jesus came to do. But it all comes down to one thing, that God loves human beings. He loves us. He let His Son die for us. And He wants all people to know this. And He wants to save them. That's the work. Everything that God did and everything that God does is about saving humanity. And ensuring that we can be with Him in eternity. The work of the Father and the Son is to seek and save the lost. Luke 19.10 That's the work. There's no other work. That is it. The work is not to conserve nature. Right? The work is not to be a political expert and to run the kingdoms of the world. If God runs the kingdoms of the world, He does it to save souls. That's the end. He wants us in eternity with Him. In other words, work is Acts 29. If you don't know what that means, you can go read the book of Acts. When Jesus left, the Christians continued, the church grew, disciples were made, the kingdom spread throughout the world. And it ends in chapter 28. And we have taken over in Acts chapter 29. You want to know what we're supposed to be doing? Go read the book of Acts. That's the work. Go look at what the Apostle Paul did. Go look at what Peter did. Go look at what the early Christians did in persecuted Jerusalem. That's our work. Fundamentally, it is spreading the gospel it is teaching the Word. And I want to honor Gail. I want to honor people like Dana. I want to honor people like Dave. People who teach the Word. That's the work. It's spreading the truth. It is befriending neighbors in order to love them with warmth. It is making disciples. Biblically working can mean two things in my estimation. It can mean going. We each go. We each do this work ourselves. Here's a powerful text that we dealt with this year. Matthew 9, 35 to 38. Jesus went through all the towns and villages. And I want you to read this with me carefully. Teaching in the synagogues. What was Jesus doing? This is His work. He was pro proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. And He was healing every disease and sickness. I just want to pause here for a moment. Do you think that we can do the same thing? Of course we can do we can proclaim the kingdom when we meet with people. We can talk to them about God. Wait for that opportunity. But you think that we can heal people. Of course we can. Your very love and presence and being a, a listening ear can help people heal. You don't have to be a person that zaps cancer out of somebody. You can just be a tremendous friend. That's how you can heal people. That's what Christians do. But here's the thing. It's work. It's work. Look at this. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but what? The workers are few. There's a lot of lost sheep. There's a lot of broken people. There's a lot of people without the truth, but there's nobody that's willing to do the work. To tell them, to heal them, to lead them, to shepherd them, to care for them. Ask, he says, the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. In other words, this is a matter of prayer. Jesus equates lost people with being sheep without a shepherd. If we, and we, we did the exercise. If we open our eyes and we look at the people living in our town, in actual fact, if we look at the people just living in our country, or we look at the people that's on Facebook, and you look at some of their comments and the things that people say on social media, if you look at them through the eyes of Jesus, what do you see? Do you see what Jesus sees? Oh, of course. You will quickly realize when you look at people through the eyes of Jesus, not your own, you will see people are very lost. And they're sheep without a shepherd. And we know the shepherd. We know him. What Jesus is saying, and you know, guys, I've said some really, some really, I've said stuff in really dumb ways. Here's another one. It's like Jesus is saying, there are dumb people who make dumb decisions and they are on a dumb way of destruction to fall down a cliff of death. That's essentially what he's saying. There are people who live their lives without wisdom. There are people whose marriages are wrecked who continue to make stupid decisions. They make financial wrecking decisions. Their spiritual lives are a mess and we are just not willing to work. Like help them, care about them. I even pray for them sometimes. You know what I've picked up has happened? We don't go out to them, befriend them, earn their respect, care for them, get into their lives, pray for opportunities to speak into the, to their hearts. We don't do that easily. We don't do that work. And I think it's foreign for us. Because that's not, that's not part of the system. The system is, come to church. That's the system. We are busy with other work. This is what we do. We create a church that is comfortable. That's our work. We create a church that's comfortable and relaxing and convenient for them. For in case one day they come visit us. That's the work that we do. I'm not saying just we. I'm saying Christianity in general. It's, no, no, no. I'm not going to get in my car and go visit somebody else who I've got nothing in common with and see if I can be a blessing with them. No, I'm not going to make friends with, uh, with, 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 with uh, the parents at my kid's school because so, maybe I can be a blessing to them and I'm going to love them. No, that's work. What I'll do is I'll be a great worker in the church building. I'll make sure the pews are great but I, and, and in that the building is good for in case one day they randomly show up and they get to visit and feel comfortable. That's what I can do for Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, that is not, that can add to it. That is not the primary work that Jesus calls on us to do. That's comfortable for us because I don't have to go out of my way. I don't have to go out of my comfort zone to pick up a conversation with somebody. I can just make the church nice. And this is comfortable for us and it's comfortable for them. And Satan wins. Jesus says we need to pray for workers because they are few. Do you know why they are few? Why do you think the workers are few? Because working is hard. Really it is. It is hard. And I'm, I'm, I'm coming to you, I'm coming to you t this morning as a, as a worker. I've decided, I decided when I was like 21 years old, Lord, I want to work the rest of my life in this business, which isn't a business. But I want to do this stuff. I want to work with people. And there are nights, there are days where I am so tired. But I, I'll go sit and have a conversation for two hours and give my attention to somebody. That's work. So you could be the going 
Or you could be the sending. There's a precious case of Paul. I'm not going to read it now because I'm, 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 as usual, talking more than I should. 1 Thessalonians 2, 7-9 and 2 Thessalonians 3, 6-15. It's an incredible section of text. Paul seems to, if you want to know about work, go read the Thessalonians. Because there, there, there was a bunch of people in Thessalonica that were very lazy. And Paul arrives there and it, it doesn't seem like the church can support him to preach the gospel in their midst. And so he writes this text and he says to them, listen here guys. When I was with you, I worked night and day in order not to be a burden to you. What working do you think he's talking about? He said he was a tent maker. Paul was a tent maker. And so he was saying, I would work the whole night through essentially my hands. I would be making tents so I could sell it in the morning so that I could have food so that I can preach the gospel to you. Paul, when he was working, he was working to have food so he can preach the gospel. That's essentially why he did a secular, a secular work. Paul did physical work for money with one goal, to preach the gospel to the Thessalonians. When Paul made tents, it was for the gospel, to reach the sheep, to seek and save the lost. It was not for his new BMW, or his mansion on the beach, or his comfortable lifestyle, or his retirement, or the capital in the bank. So what am I saying? Maybe God has given you the ability to make money. Use that money for the gospel, for the work, for the kingdom, for the saving of souls. Work at the factory. Work at the school. Work at your office. Do what you do. Drive the truck. Maneuver in your business deals. Make investments. But do it all with the end goal of sending that money to God's things. Doing God's work, therefore, is anything we do with the end goal of seeking and saving the lost. In other words, let me just make this simple again. Because you might say, well, you, you, everybody's sitting here this morning you know, thinking, okay, okay, Michiel, but that's the work you do because you're an evangelist. Well, first of all, number one, all of us can do this work. Not all of us is going to be as effectively as, as, as everybody else. Some have been gifted and some have not. But it should be each and every one of our goals. Each and every one of us should be thinking about our neighbor's spiritual well-being and our friends and our family members. And if, that has, if, if you debate that, there's something wrong. We've got to go to the text then again. A, a sold-out servant of Christ should be praying for his neighbors, right? Trying to look for ways to reach out to them, asking the Holy Spirit to work in their lives and your life and to give you words to talk. And when the opportunity comes, that should be there. We should all be mission-minded. But some of us have been gifted in other ways. Some of us have been gifted to, for example, make money. Then work in your job as an engineer or whatever it is. Give your best. Because it's not just about the money. It's about what you're going to use that money for. Kingdom things. And in that way, you're working on the same thing as the preacher at the church or the evangelist. Go read 1 Corinthians 15.10. 2 Corinthians 11.23, Philippians 2.16, over and over Paul shares with us how hard he works. If he didn't work on the sheep, his hands were busy making tents. He worked harder than any of us, but he always did the work as a means to an end. Working, two points for you as we close. Remember my closing is 30 minutes, I'm just warning you. Working invites God into you. Don't give up yet. You can't tell me that your bum is sore now. These are comfortable pews. Don't think about lunch. Just hang in there. Last sermon of the year. Think about it. Last one. Hang in there. Okay? So, working invites God into you. Colossians 1.29. To this end, Paul says, I also labor, striving with all His energy, working powerfully within me. The text says that God's energy will work in us. And this concept is used in the New Testament only as superhuman power. In other words, God comes and works inside of you. I'll be honest with you, I'm with you this morning. I, I felt this so many times in my life over and over again. And at least respect 
from my experience what I'm going to say next. I have been tired and I have been weak and I've had headaches and my body has been absolutely useless. But then God puts somebody in front of me. It's looking for him. And I promise you, before the living God in the, in, the, in the presence of Christ, in that moment, I have no weakness. And I'm not tired at all. And nothing matters. And the headache is gone. I've experienced this hundreds of times in my life. Because suddenly I'm in the realm of kingdom business. The Holy Spirit has sent somebody to my door. He's given me an opportunity to speak through Him. He wants to work through me. So God says, I'm going to plug into you. And I'm going to give you energy. And I'm going to give you strength. And I'm going to give you wor words. Because you're busy with my work. Even as I'm standing right here right now. I don't care nothing. I cannot fall asleep right now. I'm overly energetic. I don't want to talk. Stop talking. Because this is kingdom stuff. This has an eternal impact. So when we are engaged in God's work, He will give you the energy. People say, I want to have God in me. I want God to speak through me. I want to feel God. I want to experience God. But you sit on the couch the whole day and do nothing. Don't expect anything. You'll get nothing from Him. Because not, you're not doing His work by sitting on the couch or mowing the lawn. When you go do that stuff, you're going to have to operate on your own energy. But if you sign up to be a soldier of Him, He'll equip you with the weapons. He'll equip you with the necessary energy. He will give you everything that you need. If you want a living and thriving spiritual life, obey the Great Commission. Do it. And God will get into you. He will make you a Jeremiah. He will make you a Moses. Put words on your tongue. He'll make you a Jeremiah. Where Jeremiah says, The word of the Lord has brought me reproach all day long. But if I say that I cannot mention him, indeed I cannot. For his word burns like a fire within my bones. I cannot contain it. Jeremiah says, I can't keep quiet. Because he's on a mission. When you start working, God starts working through you. It's all over the New Testament. 1 Corinthians 12, 6, 12, 11, Ephesians 1, 19, 3, 7, 3, 20, Philippians 2, 13, Hebrews 13, 21. God is saying, if you drive the car, I will fill the gas. If you eat the food, I'll make you strong. If you're willing to open your mouth, I will give you words. If you're willing to get up from your comfortable seat, I will show you where to go. If you're willing to love someone, I will send someone to love. If you're willing to go, I will make you glow. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 9 says, We are co-workers with God. We're in partnership with Him. When we do what He wants, when we do His work, and we put aside our own wants, He fills us up with every need. Because God takes care of His partners. Secondly, working makes God's people respect you. And this for me is interesting, and I want you to, if you have been working in the church for a while, if you've been, uh, I, I actually don't want to say just working in the church, if you've been working on kingdom things, okay, I want you to listen up now. I've met some really incredible Christians in my life, and you know what I've seen with them? The world doesn't respect them. Unspiritual people won't respect spiritual people most of the time. What they do is they mock you and they put you on a cross. That's what they did to Jesus. The world doesn't care about God's workers. They laugh at missionaries and people trying to stand on the street corners and tell people about Jesus. They think, yeah, you're a weirdo. You know why? Because Satan hates those type of people. But you know what happens with God's people? God's people respect them. We had a, a, a guy that was in school with us, and he was the joke of the school, this kid. His, his nickname was, was Mot, which is moth. Just bad. Like you call somebody a moth. Not a mothball. Like he had things here that's like a moth, you know? They gave him a nickname, Moth. The ridicule. When we play rugby, everybody tackles him. They just want to break him. When he, was in grade eight, when he was in grade 8, somebody gave him a donkey bite. You know what a donkey bite is? When you take somebody's arm and you, you, you twist it like that. What do you call it here? 
Okay, here's a new one. Donkey bite. It hurts. So this guy's in grade, grade 8 or the first, the first year of high school. I don't know what it is. Yeah, age 14. And a matric, a, a grade 12 kid, grade 12, so that would be an 18-year-old, comes and gives him a donkey bite. This kid was so weak, his arm broke. So everybody just abused this kid and, and thought he was the biggest joke of the school. And he went through the high, whole high school like that. One story is told of where, where they went on a, on a, on a, on a sports day out. And, and the kids were smoking in the back of the bus. And they said to him, hey, because obviously he's the skivvy guy. You need to tell us when the teachers come. We don't want the teachers to catch us smoking in, in, in the back. So they, they send him to run this errand to sit in front of the bus and make sure to warn them if the teacher comes. So the, uh, the teacher comes and he walks straight into the bus. He walks to the back and catches all of them smoking. And the kids are like, afterwards, you know, being under the disciplinary situation, they went to him and said to him, Hey, dude, why didn't you warn, warn us? He said, I forgot the word. So, so, so we've got a word in South Africa. I don't know if it's here when you say chips. Is that, is that foreign to you? Okay, in South Africa, the word chips is chips, chips, he's coming. It's like when you hear the word chips, then you know danger. He forgot the word. <laughs> While he's thinking about the word, the teacher walks past and busts them. That's the type of character that I, that I knew. And then I got to know him. And one day I went to a church service and I saw this kid on his knees praising God. And I started looking at him differently than everybody else did. And then I started, when I walked past his room because we were in a boarding school, I, I would see his Bible. I would see him read his Bible. And then I started looking into his character. He would never swear. He'd never be ugly with people. He'd never look down on people. He'd always just be beaten up on and then suddenly I realized, hey, but I'm a servant of Jesus. I believe in Jesus. This kid I'm going to respect. And I respect him more than the jocks of the school. I respect him more than the strongest kid in the school. Because that's what Christians do. We respect those who take God seriously. Isn't it so? Regardless of how strong they are, what they look like, or how the world mocks them, we look differently at people. I've got a friend of yours in the red shirt over there. This was an incredible day. I looked for a photo of him on on, on Facebook, an incredible brother in Christ of mine. You know what that young man does? We went to go baptize that gentleman. He couldn't speak. He, he had to tell us yes or no when we read him texts. And we said to him, hey, do you believe Jesus Christ, the Son of God? He said, yes. We said to him, hey, man, you, according to the text, you've got to be buried. You've got to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Do you want to do that? He said, yes. But he's so weak and vulnerable. And we, I, I carried him with my arms like this. And that lady at the back helped us to, 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 to baptize him. It, I thought he was going to die in the water. And, and poor Yanis, the guy in the red, he went with me. You know what that guy does? I spoke to him this week. He doesn't have a job. He's full-time in this work. He takes, he takes a, 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 a thing that he carries on his stomach, like, like a, some type of a carrying mechanism. And, and he sells dried fruit. He walks from shop to shop, town to town, and he just sells dried fruit. If you know what he sells it for, it's like, it's like less than a dollar for a packet of like, um, dried apricots. Just and then as he's doing that, he's, he's giving out pamphlets about Jesus. And this, this poor man, many people mock him because he's a different type of character. Who would do that? He's a different type of character. I respect that guy more than the best football player in this country. I respect him more than the best basketball player I've ever heard of in my life. Better than the rugby players. I respect him more than the president of this country. Because when God looks at that guy, he sees something totally different than you and I see. I will lay down my life for a guy like that. Listen carefully to what Paul says here to the Thessalonians. This is an incredible text. I've got two incredible texts that I have never looked at properly. And now I'm really getting close to the end. You know that means 15 minutes. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 to 14, acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard and love. Why? Because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. These people were shepherding and caring for 
God's people. But their work is specifically, the Greek word is nuteteo, which means to put in mind. They teach spiritual things. They warn you of God and His will. Paul says, acknowledge them and hold them in the highest regard. When you meet somebody who puts God first and works for God and gives up everything for God, you put them in the highest regard. Their work is valuable. Those who do God's work are not to be disrespected because they are fulfilling a divine mandate. They are servants on God's mission. And if you mess with them, you mess with God. And then Paul says, warn those who don't work, who are idle. This is the uncomfortable part of the text. Do you see it? Well, let's encourage those who are working and warn those who are idle. So we could just cut out the first part. And I, I, I want to say this in the presence of Jesus Christ today. If you are a lazy Christian, if you are lazy, I urge you in the presence of Jesus Christ to get your lazy backside off that comfortable couch and start doing something for God's kingdom. Otherwise, you might just grow cold and die a spiritual death. Another powerful, important text, which is almost our last text. 1 Corinthians 16, 15 to 16. You know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia. Now, if you've been studying with us Acts, this is incredible. We'll look tonight at where Achaia is. First converts. And they have devoted themselves to the servants of the Lord's people. And then he says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to submit to such people and to everyone who joins in the work and labors at it. Now, for those of you who have been in church for a while, I was part of a church, and now it makes sense. A few years back, the first church I worked at, the rule in the church was this, those who do the work gets to make the most decisions. And based on this, I'll be honest with you, I've got to agree with that. Because if you're not doing anything, you don't get to say anything. The household of Stephanus. The text says in the original language that they, listen, this is the, addicted, this, this is the original language. They addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They were addicted to God's work. And Paul says to the church, submit to them. The Greek word is hupotasso. It's the same word that we use for a wife to submit to her husband. Same thing. Submit to them. What does this mean? We are to submit to those who do God's work. The people in the church who do the most of the work are the people who should have most of the say. Now, can you believe it? We've actually reached the conclusion. Micah, you can get your fingers ready for that guitar break. Just some final things. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talks lead, leads only to poverty. This is true for our secular work. It's true for our spiritual work as well. If we decide today, Lord, you know what? I want to work. I want to do something for you. There will always be a prophet. You don't always see the prophet today. You might see it in a year's time from now. The prayer that you made today might only make, you'll see the impact of it a year from now. Or that encouraging word, or just that visit with somebody. We can't always measure spiritual things like we can measure money. But don't think that what you do in the kingdom has no impact. It does. John 6, 27, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set His seal on Him. It's one of the first verses that came to my mind in this study. You can work your whole life for money, for food that spoils. <laughs> You're working on stuff that's going to rot and be burnt up when Jesus comes back in anything. What about, uh, in any way, what about just working for things that have an internal impact? What, what about that? To be honest with you, that's the only reason why I'm doing what I'm doing. I was studying civil engineering. I wanted to build bridges and stuff. And I, I was like working for, I think it was like a year, two years. And I looked at this stuff and I thought to myself, I read some of the text that deals with the fact that all the elements are going to be destroyed, that the whole world's going to be destroyed. And anyway, I was like, 
Well, God's going to burn down this bridge in anyway. Is there anything that I can build that's going to outlast the final judgment? Well, kingdom stuff, yes. The souls of people, that's the thing that will continue living when I end. And this bridge gets broken down in any ways. A quote, Hudson Taylor. I used to ask God to help me. That's the mindset of most Christianity. Then I asked if I might help him to do his work through me. You see the difference? We've got to move away. Well, at least I think most of us are not there. But in, in our society, it's, it's, it's to move away from the concept that I am a Christian because of what God can do for me. And move into the position, thank you God for what you have done for me. Now I'm at your disposal, use me. Pray as though everything depends on God. Work as though everything depends on you. When I say that we, um, we got to work and we want to make an impact and we want to be servants and we want to shepherd sheep that are lost, I'm saying we've got to put in our effort, but we can't solve all of it. But we've got to work as if we can. Without God, we can do nothing. Without God, we cannot make disciples. Without God, we cannot reach the ends of the earth. But we've got to work as if it, it, it depends on us. That's what I like about this quote. If you are idle in Christ's work, you are active in the devil's work. Thank you, Charles Spurgeon. He's not God-breathed, but I think there's some truth in that. The hardest thing about milking cows, observed the farmer, is that they never stay milked. This quote came to my mind because there's, when, we, when we're working in God's kingdom, there's always a new person. There's always somebody that needs new spiritual encouragement. It's a never-ending job. And that's hard to accept. But the reward is incredible. And this is the last one, I think. God gives the birds their food, but He doesn't throw it into their nets. And I think this is true in both the physical and the spiritual. God wants us to work to provide. Okay? Physical work. Work for your food. Work for your money, for your house, for your family. We've got to do that work. Okay? God's not just going to give it to you. Well, I, in America, the government does just give it to some people. Let's be honest. Okay. But spiritually, I, th I think this is also true. The New Testament tells us that God chose, God chose the foolishness of preaching to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. How will they know unless somebody preaches to them? Because there's a theological movement in our world currently in, in some of the churches that says, well, God draws people to Himself. Yes, He does. Well, if God draws people to Himself, we have to do nothing. That's not the truth. God draws people to Himself through the message that we preach. God draws people through Himself through us, His servants. So, yes, the gospel is available to everybody, but He sends it through us. So, in a nutshell, my challenge to you for next year is as well. When you do go this week, if you haven't done it already, and, if, and, and, and maybe you never do this, but try at least on the 1st of January to make a commitment to pray to God and say, Lord, I want to be part of your work. I don't know how. I don't have all the gifts in the world, but I want you to use me this year. Please, I'm available. I put up my hand. If you can just make that one prayer, I promise you God will do that for you. And next year we'll have a different story of your life and my life. Let's stand and we sing the closing song.